0: Hello, this is Frank Falvey with Frank Presents. And today I'm honored to have the, the Reverend Kathy McAdams, uh, pastor of uh, St. John's Episcopal Church here in Franklin. Welcome to the program, Kathy. Thank you. Kathy, where did you grow up?
1: Well, I grew up in a lot of different places. I was born in Washington, D.C., and then grew up in Southern California. And then I went to high school and college in Denver. Then I went to uh, San Francisco for 17 years and then moved to Massachusetts in 2006.
0: What, what uh, college did you go to in Denver?
1: Metropolitan State College.
0: And what, what did r- degree did you receive from there?
1: I received a bachelor's in elementary education.
0: And did you teach for a while? I
1: did, yeah. I taught in the Denver public schools for a few years.
0: And was there something that called you to California? Uh,
1: Well, I actually um, went there for a job with the San Francisco SPCA working as an educator. And so I took uh, animals out to classrooms to talk to kids about pet care and wildlife and things like that. Wow. Yeah.
0: And you you still have that love of animals.
1: You,
0: You have a farm somewhere, right?
1: A small farm in Canton. Yeah, I have a couple of horses.
0: And no wild chickens or pigs or.
1: You know, I would love to have chickens and goats, but we have a lot of predators. Uh, we live right near the Blue Hills Reservation, oh, yeah. and so we get yeah. coyotes and foxes and hawks and all kinds of things. So the chickens wouldn't last.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do the uh, Blue Hills doesn't have any more poisonous snakes, does it?
1: I think they probably do. Yeah, I think I've heard there are some rattlesnakes up there.
0: Yeah, I know what. Uh, one time, uh, one time they did.
1: I've never encountered them, thank God. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy,
0: what called you or, or moved you to go uh, into the ministry?
1: Wow, well, that's a long story. Um, let's see, when I was 23 years old, um, I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And my first sponsor taught me to pray because I, I grew up without any religion. and. Um, So she taught me, you know, we get on our knees and we ask God for what we want and then we say, Thy will, not mine, be done. Mm -hmm. And we also put things in a God box and turned it over (laughs) in a a way of turning things over to God. Um, And so with her, I got comfortable talking about God, talking about spirituality. And um, so then when someone invited me to go to church with them, I was ready to accept that invitation, and it happened to be an Episcopal church. And um, I found out that they were not the hypocrites my father had warned me about; that they were actually trying to feed the poor and welcome everyone, and you know, be inclusive. So, um, so I immediately, you know, became more involved with that church, and I joined the choir, and I became a healing minister. And I noticed that some people were, there was an inquirer class that I went to, and it was a a series that they were doing uh, after church. And I noticed that some people in that class were preparing to be confirmed. And I I understood that um, confirmation meant becoming part of the community, joining, and I wanted to do that but then about a week before the confirmation I called the rector and I said you know I don't know much about this but should I be baptized before I'm confirmed (laughs) 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 and he said oh yes we need to we'll do that on Sunday Um, so I was uh, baptized at Trinity Episcopal Church in San Francisco and um, confirmed at Grace Cathedral there in the city Um, and so then you know I just got more and more Involved in the church, and I was also a student at San Francisco State at the time. I had already gotten my degree in Denver, but I thought I wanted to go to vet school. So I had gone back to do some hard sciences and things, and I only had a couple classes left, and I had turned in my application to UC Davis for vet school. Um, And let me see. um, Oh, so I went, to, went back to Grace Cathedral for a friend's ordination, somebody from the parish who was mm-hmm. being ordained, a priest. I had this profound sense that this was something I was supposed to be doing. And I, you know, I didn't know what to make of that. It, it was an avenue that had never been open to me before and something I'd never considered. And here I was thinking I'm going to vet school So I did what my first sponsor taught me to do. I got on my knees. I said, God, I don't understand this, you know, but if this is something you really want me to do, you need to make it really, really clear to me. And the next hymn we sang was, Here I Am, Lord. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which, of course, made me cry for the rest of the afternoon. Um, But when I told some friends about that experience, they weren't shocked. They said, yeah, that's, you know, we can see that. So I wasn't ready to say yes, because this this was just kind of turning my life upside down. Um, But I said maybe. And um, so I went to, I had had been somewhat involved with the ecumenical house on campus at San Francisco State. And I went and talked with the Episcopal chaplain there and, you know, told him what was going on. And um, he just encouraged me to explore and to... uh, you know, be open to possibilities. And at the same time, the, um, the Presbyterian chaplain kind of ran, she was kind of the director of the place, she invited me to come on staff there and, and work, run the cafe that they had. Um, and so instead of taking those last two classes that I needed for vet school, I just went through the catalog and chose things that were interesting. I chose, um, history of the Reformation, Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, um, music appreciation, things like that, very churchy Mm -hmm. things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, kind of never looked back. You know, I had, I called the vet school and put my application on hold, but I just never, never followed through with it. And it took about five years before I started seminary after that.
0: Oh, it, it took that long?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So it was quite a quite a long process from from uh, uh, meeting someone in AA until you did go to uh, a seminary, right? And all that time, did you feel that you were growing uh, spiritually?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And and how did that spirituality help your combating alcoholism?
1: Oh really just understand that I'm not in charge of my life that God is you know and that um that I had to just continually turn things over to God and and let God be in charge and let God lead me and listen listen for that direction that that call
0: there there is a certain sense of affirmation that you're on the right track how did you personally feel that affirmation I mean what was it that you knew God was confirming mm.
1: your progress. That's a, that's a good question. Um, so as I was going through the ordination process, uh, I I called the diocese. And I told them that I you know wanted to enter this process, and they sent me a packet that was about this thick. <laughs> 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 I thought, how am I ever going to do all of this stuff? You know, which included a one-on-one meeting with the bishop yeah. and going before all these committees and things. And I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that. Here I, I was in my twenties, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was able to just take one thing at a time. And I found that <clears throat> if I was going in the right direction, the doors opened. If I wasn't, I ran into roadblocks and I had to change direction. And that, ever since then, has, has been something that I've continued to rely on through life. Mm.
0: How, what seminary did you go to?
1: Church Divinity School of the Pacific. It's part of the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, right next to UC Berkeley. Uh-huh. And um, it's nine different denominations or nine different seminaries, um, and you can take classes at all of them. So uh, I took Old Testament with the Lutherans and preaching with the Baptists and um, moral theology with the uh, the Dominicans. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: and was seminary a significant part of your learning uh, about not only how to be a pastor, but how to be a Christian?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, since I was still relatively new to Christianity, there were some you know basic things about Scripture and the prayer book and things like that that I needed to learn. But I found that uh, in seminary, they kind of... <clears throat> take apart all the things you think you know. <laughs> they, they break it down and then help you put it back together. And that community of other travelers, mm-hmm. uh, the other seminarians really help to do that, to, to form your faith. Yeah.
0: I'd like to put in a plug for uh, Boston University School of Theology. and mm-hmm. continuing learning, yeah. adult learning, uh, I have in the past taken classes there, and, and anyone uh, can go, uh, register, uh, take classes there. Uh, you're, you're, you're auditing the class. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really I really think that not only helps you personally, but it really helps you in your spiritual life. I bet, yeah. Uh, going on. Well, l- l- I want to come back to your story, but I want to talk a minute about uh, your pastor at St. John's. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the Episcopal Church uh, actually it comes out of the Roman Catholic Church. It, it, Not in, really. No?
1: It, it's more like this. <laughs> it's more like we parted ways. Yeah.
0: Right. Back yeah. in the 15th century,
1: was it? Yeah. yeah.
0: Back in the 15th Under. century when the King of England uh, wasn't allowed uh, to marry. So the Church of England... Uh, was formed right so you're a very what i call liturgical church
1: yes absolutely
0: and what what do we mean by liturgical we mean that you process in
1: yeah there's a particular formula for the worship Mm -hmm. um so i as rector cannot just make things up i can't just decide that this is what we're going to do today there's a lectionary which prescribes which scriptures are used on certain days And there's a whole format to the the worship. There's the whole opening rite and the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the table, which is the Eucharist.
0: And the Episcopal Church uh, highlights communion. Right. Uh, Almost, uh, am I correct? Every Sunday you have communion, That's correct, yeah. And not only every Sunday, but you may have it uh, sometime during the week. Yep. So communion... Can you tell the, our audience what the purpose and the meaning of communion is?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, the, the Eucharist, which is a Greek word for Thanksgiving, was instituted by Christ himself at the Last Supper. Um, and it's based on the Jewish blessings of the bread and the cup, um, because Jesus, of course, was Jewish, and he lived in a Jewish context. But, um, but he said, you know, this bread is my body. And when you, when you eat it, uh, you're doing this in remembrance of me." And then he held up the cup and prayed and said the same thing, that this is my blood. So um, in doing that, we are communing with Jesus, we're communing with each other, we're communing with Christians everywhere.
0: The Book of Common Prayer, uh, which again goes back, I believe, to the founding of the Episcopal Church,
1: to the founding of the Church of England,
0: yeah. Right, the the Church of England. Uh, And this uh, uh, has prayers, has uh, services, uh, and and my emphasis is that it is old, although it is updated on uh, a regular uh, basis. Correct. Can you tell, again, what the Book of Common Prayer is all about and how it's used.
1: Yeah, well, you you got it. Um, there are daily offices that people can use morning, noon, and night, either in a, a communal context or just within a family or individuals. Um, and then there's the Eucharist that we use on Sundays and other occasions. Um, there's a service of baptism. There's the funeral, marriage. Um, There are some services that are only done by bishops which are called Episcopal services like confirmation and ordination. Um, And then there's just a variety of other prayers and psalms and things that that people can use in their own prayers.
0: Can you draw the distinction between meditation and using the Book of Common Prayer?
1: Maybe. (laughs) So I think any kind of prayer can be meditative. Um, I think some people would describe, um, you know, using a a repetitive kind of prayer, putting them into a meditative state. Um, There's a lot of different kinds of meditation, whether it's focusing on your breath or focusing on some sort of mantra. But uh, the Book of Common Prayer is, you know, particular rote prayers that people can use. And I think it's important to remember that we can always just talk to God, that we don't have to use those kinds of prayers to pray. Mm -hmm. We can pray anytime, anywhere by just telling God what we're feeling and what's going on for us.
0: It's drop lights.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, try not to close your eyes while you're driving. But... um, But I think the importance of having a prayer book is for those times when we don't have the words. Yeah, You know, when we just don't know what to say and we can turn to a prayer and read it.
0: Talking about New England and talking about Protestant churches, Mm -hmm. what is the message that a Protestant church needs to be emphasizing uh, to draw uh, people uh, to church Uh, Maybe even uh, to begin, I mean, how do you explain what a Christian is?
1: Mm. Yeah, so a Christian is a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus. Um, Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, has started talking about the Episcopal Church as the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. (laughs) (laughs) The Jesus movement is about following Jesus. And that's really what Jesus asked us to do. He didn't ask us to worship Him. He said, Worship the Father. But He asked us to follow Him. And so to try to do the things that He's doing to help bring about healing and reconciliation, to, um, to love people, and to bring about justice, to make sure everybody has enough. You know, He was constantly feeding people and healing people. And those are the kinds of things that, that Christians should be doing. And. So I think in terms of church, if we can invite people into that kind of ministry, if we can show that we're out there trying to do those things and ask others to join us, that that's important. And um, I think the hard part is making that shine through in our liturgy, you know, um, making the liturgy relevant for people so that they uh, see something meaningful there and have a reason to, to show up on Sunday.
0: The the uh, the following part to to, to follow him. Um, his his teaching is a way of life. Mm-hmm. If you follow it, and it is a uh, a way. A, how do I say it? it? It is a way if you follow what he is saying. Um, and what he's doing d- brings. You know, I I love my owl. I love mm-hmm. wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he, what he's building on is the uh, Psalms and the Proverbs. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, calling people of his time uh, how to live both economically and in love, and also in in worshiping. Mm. Uh, and as you said, how how do you try to Bring that to your worship and to a church congregation. In mm-hmm. other words, to to be in community, it seems like you can't be an individual outside and be a Christian in the sense that you really need to do this in community. Am yeah. I am I right or wrong?
1: Oh, I agree absolutely. Um, I mean, there's obviously, as I said, we can pray anytime, anywhere, but. I think it's important to come together and do that, to mirror God for each other, to, um, to be reminded of the things that Jesus said and did, and you know, to read scripture together and, and discuss it and um, to share all the wonderful music that's come out of, of that tradition, but also to shore each other up when we're, you know, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling discouraged, things aren't working. Um, to strengthen each other for the week ahead and uh, keep each other going. During
0: the Colbrick uh, mm. crisis of the last uh, few years.
1: Which isn't over. <laughs>
0: which isn't over. <laughs> and probably will never be over, uh, yeah. most likely. Yeah. Um, what, what is it that, how, how did you personally change as a pastor? Yeah. Uh, what was it that you had to do to meet the needs of uh, the people of your congregation and of the, your community?
1: Yeah. Well, the first year was the hardest when we didn't even have vaccinations. Uh-huh. Um, and so we couldn't be together inside at least. Um, so uh, the, our deacon and I did a lot of um, driving around and dropping things off for people and waving through windows, You know, trying to have conversations outdoors from a distance. Fortunately, St. John's has a lovely lawn out front, and we were able to have outdoor worship during the warmer months, both, both years, uh, which I think helped to keep us together a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time we were um, there were four of us inside the church projecting <laughs> you know, doing the uh, zoom worship and Facebook live and that kind of stuff. Um, so that that was really hard to not be in touch with people, and and we just tried to do what we could in person. And
0: seventy five percent of those uh, people that died from COVID were the, over the age of sixty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a hugely significant number. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed? I mean. What was your experience with that age group? And, yeah. and how did you minister to a number of people that were terminally ill, and that um, where maybe you were at their bedside mm. uh, and you couldn't be?
1: Well, fortunately, I did not have that experience in the parish. Oh, um, okay. We, we did have a few people, and continue to have people who come down with COVID, but no one died of it. Um, I, I have done some funerals for people who died of COVID, but not in the parish. The other half of my job is working as a hospice chaplain. And so during that time, I certainly, um, you know, was, uh, ministering to people who were, who were sick and dying and, um, not a lot of them with COVID, but dying of other things. And that was really hard to support them. So, uh, there was a period of time where we couldn't visit people, and we just had to try to phone them and support their families by phone and try to use visit, uh, video conferencing and things like that. That was really tough. Um, but once we were able to get all the PPE and the vaccinations and get back face-to-face with people, that made it much better.
0: So as a, as a hospice person, uh, what happens if someone enters hospice? Hospice meaning uh, that it's pretty certain you're gonna pass away within a certain period six
1: of time. Six months, yeah.
0: Six months? Yeah,
1: in order to qualify for a hospice, the doctor has to say that your, your illness, if it continues as expected, that you will probably pass away within six months. Um, but you don't have to. <laughs>
0: it's not a requirement. <laughs> not a
1: requirement. If you continue to show decline, they'll recertify you for another period. Um, So yeah, uh, I've been working with hospice for about five years and um, I go into both facilities and people's private homes and um, counsel them and their families about end of life. I see people of all different faiths and and no faith at all, which I think is, is much harder. You know, if someone has a belief system within which they're understanding things, uh, that's much easier to talk about than if they just have yeah. no faith at all. Yeah.
0: You think it's easier?
1: If they have some sort of a belief system, yes. If they have a sort of belief yeah. system, yeah. it's easier. Yeah, but if they don't, it's, it's really hard. Because I mean, I'm not there to tell them what to believe. I'm there yeah. to kind of draw out of them what is yeah. their faith and what keeps them strong and how do they understand what's happening to them.
0: I would dare say that probably 50% of them People in Franklin are, are not Christians and not related to religious organizations. Yeah. How do you see the Christian message, you know, in Franklin? How how should that be, mm. uh, outreached or or, or uh, put forward? Uh, how should uh, uh, Saint John's uh, members, uh. uh give their Christian message to those uh, that may not be interested in or even know what Christianity is. Yeah.
1: I think everybody needs to know that they're loved. You know, whether they're Christian or some other faith or, or describe themselves as spiritual but not religious, which is true of a lot of the younger people now. Um, I think everybody needs to know that they're loved. And um you know, that's a part of Jesus' message that we really try to emphasize. In fact, our church school program is based on a program called Love First. So it looks at uh, love of God, love of neighbor, and love of self. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we try to, uh, you know, emphasize that with the kids, but also with the adults. Everybody needs to know that God loves them.
0: I've noticed in contemporary music and contemporary writings, Uh, that uh, religious people and religious organizations are being denigrated because they are are perceived as being maybe they were on the wrong side of social issues Mm. in the past and so what's being highlighted is the fact that uh, uh, not only uh, not only in the past but uh, in the fairly fairly recent um, happenings the the church is perceived as having been a stumbling block uh, for other people first of all, do you agree that that we there is criticism there
1: oh there's definitely criticism i I can't speak to contemporary music I can't say that I, I really listen to a lot of that but um, I do think that All churches, well, I shouldn't say all, most churches have a lot of um, repentance to do about uh, not only sex abuse scandals, but racial injustice, um, not doing enough to prevent slavery, uh, not doing enough to prevent climate change. I mean, there's so many things that the church has done or left undone that we need to confess about and uh, try to make reparations about and repent um, the church is a human institution so we're not perfect um, and you know I hope that we can uh, we can do our best and try to make up for the things that we haven't done well in the past
0: So is the church relevant today and is it necessary to have churches and are they are they a mitigating factor in society for the better
1: absolutely Uh, just for the for the reasons i talked about you know why we need to come together on sundays to um you know to remind each other that i see the face of christ in you and you can find that in me as well um and, and to shore each other up and and to go out together to try to improve the world.
0: And so. uh, how do you find uh, we are both part of what's called the Interfaith Council right. here in Franklin Mass, <coughs> which is not made up of all religious bodies.
1: Just the ones here in Franklin, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, but the, the, not all religious bodies in Franklin True. Are, True. are part of the council. True. Um, and striving to do what you said. How do you see the town of Franklin and and its religious bodies uh, uh, working uh, here in the community?
1: Oh, you know, I've been so impressed with this community. Um, I've only been in Franklin for four years, and uh, some of the things that I've seen people respond to, especially, Oh, and I'm forgetting her name, but the, the poor woman who was murdered by her ex-husband. And um, I just saw the town come together and raise lots of money to support those children and her mother and, um, you know, gather on the common and pray for them and uh, bring them meals. I mean, those sign ups signing up for meals, that was filled for, for months out within days. Um, so I've been really impressed how people come together and support each other.
0: That also happened to our uh, our pastor's family when he yes uh, when, when he, he was, was ill yes yeah. uh, and but it it th- there is um, one interesting thing too. We have an Afghan uh, mm-hmm. family mm-hmm. here in Franklin, and one of the needs. Uh, one of the greatest needs is drivers to be able to take that individual and his children to different places. Right. And yet, yet I don't think it's publicized as much. Mm. I mean, publicizing at times some of the needs, uh, to me, is more part of the bigger problem. Uh, but I think Franklin has a FISH program where they drive people to uh, doctor's appointments. Mm -hmm. There are programs uh, within the Franklin community uh, that I think probably clergy, uh, if you ask clergy about, are more familiar with it than a lot of other people. Am am I correct in that area?
1: Uh, Possibly. Um, There's a woman at Senior Center, Maggie Gunderson, who has put together a crisis council. Uh, I may not be getting the name right, but. Um, it's people from all different facets of town government and community services. The Freedom Trail? Groups. No, I think it's called the Freedom. Crisis Council. Oh, okay. Um, she just started it. And I think the idea is just to come together quarterly to share kind of the uh, what we have to offer. But the point is so that we all know what's available, so that if we run across somebody mm-hmm. who has Needs that aren't being addressed in certain ways that we know who to call, and so um, she. But she's the coordinator of that. So I would, I would. Say and those she's folks,
0: fairly new, isn't she?
1: She's been there a few years. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Kathy, you're on another radio show on 102.9 FM, which is part of uh, this uh, a TV station operation called A Priest, A Minister and a rabbi, and you've been on it for, is it two or three years now?
1: It's, I think we just started our third year, yeah.
0: Can you tell us a little about that show?
1: Yeah, um, I've really, I was apprehensive at first because I'm shy, but um, it's really been a wonderful experience, and it's uh, hosted by Dr. Pandora Carlucci and Jay Horrigan, and uh, the talent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in addition to myself is um, Pastor Jacob Juncker from the United Methodist Church and Rabbi Tom Alpert from um, Temple Etzheim and uh, we talk about all different types of topics, hopefully things that are relevant for people and it's uh, usually usually airs monthly.
0: Great. It's a great show to listen to. It's on, on Fridays. Uh, look it up on the uh, a website.
1: Yeah, I think it's on some Wednesdays, too. But yeah. Now,
0: Kathy, what's the question that I haven't <laughs> asked you that, that you're just dying to espouse on?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I'll just tell you that St. John's is a great community. And if anybody is thinking about you know looking for a church community, come visit us Sunday at 10 o'clock. We have uh, church school at 945 and one sunday a month we have a family service so there's no church school that day Um, in the summer things slow down but uh, september 11th i think is our kickoff for the next school year so come visit
0: and you're one of the few churches that have a christmas fair
1: we did before covid right and i don't know if we might put that back together in some capacity we, but we do have a pumpkin patch. Yes. We started that two years ago. So come to our pumpkin patch in October. Yeah.
0: Great idea.
1: 237 Pleasant Street.
0: And how can people reach the church or reach you?
1: Yeah. Well, as I said, just show up. Um, but you can call me. My cell number is 857-237-9428. Or you can... Um, I the don't,
0: church's website?
1: church's website is stjohnsfranklinma.org.
0: And is there a church e
1: That would be admin at stjohnsfranklinmad.org. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Kathy, I thank you for coming and I hope uh, in the future we'll be able to have a follow-up.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Frank.
0: Thank you very much. This is Frank Valvi and...
1: Kathy the, McAdams.
0: And Kathy McAdams, wishing you to have a blessed day and a holy Sabbath.